0: Sometimes studying the Bible can feel overwhelming and confusing. Grounded in Truth with Janet Dennison will help you learn to study, understand, and apply God's Word to your daily life. His Word is true. And guess what? It's for everyone. So thanks for joining us today as we dive into Scripture together.
1: This week, we're in the second half of Romans chapter eight. Again, my favorite chapter in all of scripture. It is truly high and holy thinking that we find in chapter eight, as Paul discusses what it means to live in the Holy Spirit according to the Holy Spirit. Today, we're gonna look at the personal ministry of the Holy Spirit. Who is he in your life? from Romans chapter 8 verses 12 through 39. Today's lesson begins with the word therefore. So we have to find out why the therefore is there. So let's look at what we talked about last week. First of all, Paul taught that if the spirit of, of Christ indwells you, then you are already a victorious person. We get to lead a life assured of the salvation that Jesus died to bring. We've been given life and we have been set free from the penalties of sin and death. We will not die in our sin. And that's the promise of God's word. And so as a result, we should set our minds on the things the Holy Spirit wants for us. That's why he came to indwell us, so that we could have his mind, his guidance, his presence, his peace. And we should live with confidence that our eternal lives are absolutely secured. All of that is what God wants for you. The worries will come, the fears will come, the anxiety will come, the anger will come, the doubts will come, because we don't live in heaven yet. And when they do, remember we talked about last week, to allow our minds to be controlled by and governed by the things that God wants us to think, the thoughts Jesus wants to author in our lives. It is the most important beginning to what it means to live according to God's Holy Spirit. Learn to think and want what Jesus wants for you. And so this week we begin with the word therefore. Paul writes, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. I have to stop there. We have an obligation. You've been given the greatest gift God could ever give. His son, who is now the Holy Spirit in your life. And because of that, Christians have an obligation. What is it? It's not to the flesh, Paul says. It's not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh... You'll die. So, our obligation is not to live that old life. It's not to live a fallen life. It's not to live a life led by something other than God's Holy Spirit. He says, But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You will live according to the Spirit. That's Romans 8, 12, and 13. If you live according to the flesh, you die. You can't live without the Holy Spirit. But if the Spirit has put to death in your life the misdeeds of the body, put to death the penalty for the misdeeds that you would have done in the flesh, you will live. The Holy Spirit's presence in your life means you are not accountable or responsible to pay for the price of that sin. So, Paul's already taught that those who have the Holy Spirit can be confident in their salvation. Christians are able to choose sin, but we are obligated to live according to God's Spirit. Why is that? Romans eight fourteen and 15. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit you received, the Holy Spirit, did not enslave you to God. He made way for your adoption. That's completely different. You aren't a slave of God. You are his child. And we don't call him, we don't refer to him as a master necessarily as much as we do a father. Now, if you've got a good dad, he's also the one you lean to, to be your master too. The Holy Spirit will help you live though with that self-image, that self-perception as a child of God. I like to teach people the next time you walk past a mirror, glance in there and realize you're looking at the very child of God. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, Paul says, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. Remember again that this first century church knew suffering for their faith as the reality of their faith. Being a Christian in first century Rome invited all kinds of difficulty into your life. And I will say in all of my years of ministry, i have never stepped into this verse quite as much as i have teaching it this time i will always know that i'm a child of god and that my eternal reward is guaranteed i inherit heaven in the same way jesus did but Just like I'll inherit heaven like Jesus, I also inherit some of the difficulties in this life like Jesus did. And more and more as the world defines their opinion of truth and it stands against the truth we receive in scripture, more and more we're going to be suffering because of our beliefs. More and more, we will be slandered. And I say that carefully, but also with great conviction. For the first time in my life, I experience some persecution because I now very publicly teach the truth of God's word. And so the emails come, and other things in life have shifted a tad it's just part of living according to his word. So what feels unusual now or different now just makes me more like the first century church. I just need to say that to all of us who live today. We might ought to look at the first century church with a little more of a brotherhood with them. Paul says, if we inherited heaven like Jesus, we're also going to inherit some of his suffering, some of the slander he received, some of the persecution he received. So if you see yourself as a child of God, you, we almost bear his name. We do bear his name. And some of what comes in accordance with that. Paul says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. There's a lot in this one. Paul says, whatever we live through here on earth doesn't even compare with the glory that is ahead of us. And then he said something that I think we read over sometimes. He said, the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. It's interesting. I never thought about this, but the creation fell when we did. When Adam did, I should say. Eager expectation in this verse is the picture of someone looking carefully with great anticipation for something they know is about to happen. And there is very little that I can talk about when I talk about heaven. The Bible intentionally leaves heaven as a vague, unknown reality. Scripture uses as many words as we could possibly understand, home uh, free of sin, free of pain, free of suffering. It's the opposite of earth, but heaven will be a mystery until we step into its glory. He goes on to say, creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I don't completely understand what Paul was saying in Romans 8, 20 to 21, but I do know this. When Adam and Eve fell, so did this world that God wanted for us. We don't live in a perfect world. We don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. We will, when we get to heaven, That may be what Paul meant by the new heaven and the new earth. All I know is that what God wanted for us was to live eternally with him in heaven. And all of our existence is going to be different once we're there. Until then, pretty much everything around us is in some stage of decay. And so then Paul describes this eager expectation, this anticipation for all that is to come. He compares it to childbirth, saying in verses 22 and 23, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Paul has painted here a picture of what it means to be born into heaven. This life he compares to the pains of childbirth. We wonder sometimes why this life is so difficult why we wonder sometimes why there are problems in this life. It's because we're not yet there. We have this anticipation of heaven, but right now we're in that painful journey of arriving there. And so he compares it to the pains of childbirth, knowing the mother, knowing she's going to have a child in her arms, But at this point, it's hard to focus on that because everything she's experiencing is taking her attention. That's kind of a good description of our lives. We know we're going to heaven, but sometimes it's hard to focus on all that that will be. So our earthly life has been compared to that process of being born into heaven. When you go through the hard times, Try to think of it as just another painful moment on the way to birth. So we don't receive our full harvest until we get to heaven. We're not fully born into the life God wants us to have until heaven. In Romans 8, 24 through 25, Paul says, For in this hope, that eager expectation of what we're going to be born into, we were saved. You know that. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's okay if you wonder about heaven. It's okay if you wish you knew more about it. All we have of heaven is that constant hope. It is real. And it's okay if it just feels like a hope, because that's what it is. We don't hope for things we already have. Our hope of heaven is based on the promise of the Holy Spirit. While we know we own the hope, we don't own the reality of it yet. We don't even have a detailed description of what heaven is yet. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Just like we hope for heaven, the Holy Spirit gives us hope, even in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people, I love this, in accordance with the will of God. If you ever need a lesson on prayer, this is a perfect verse. What is the job, one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit in your life? He's there to intercede for you. Just as the person of Jesus is in heaven, interceding for you with the Father, so is the person of Jesus in your own self, interceding for you. When you don't have words to pray, He prays for you. When you don't want to pray for what you need, He prays for that for you. He intercedes for you. There's never a moment where the Spirit within you, Jesus within you, isn't praying that you will want what He wants and you'll Make the choices he wants you to make and you'll walk this path and the life that he wants you to live. He intercedes for us. It's wordless. It is his groans, his utterances. If you've never experienced what it is to be prayed for by the Holy Spirit, then pray without words. Be still in your prayer life. Let Much of your prayer, even most of your prayer, be without words. Prayers to be an experience of the presence of Jesus, authoring in you what you're to want and what you're to choose. So when you take this passage in its context, you realize Paul is discussing this hope we have of heaven, this desire to see it, this. Desire to be positive about it, he compares it to childbirth in the first century. And then he compares it to prayer. He compares it to praying, knowing you don't know what to pray for all of the time, but the Holy Spirit does. In the first century, nobody knew if they were having a boy or a girl. In fact, the most common reason for a woman's death was childbirth. They didn't even know if they'd ever hold that baby again. That's how they waited for this child, with hope we don't really experience in our first century world quite as much. We've got the monitors telling us. We've got doctors assuring us. They lived with hope that at the end of that journey of giving birth, it would be everything they dreamed it would be. And they looked forward to that moment they held that baby. That's the way we live. It's also the way we pray, knowing we don't know but hoping that God will birth in us everything he wants us to know. So now we switch from what we hope for to what Paul says we know. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called he also justified those he justified, he also glorified. This is at least a 30 minute lesson, but I will tell you embedded in this is what we are to know. You can know that whatever happens in your life, both good and bad, God is able to either applaud or he's able to redeem. God works all things together for the good, but only if you're called according to his good purpose. It's This is a promise not for the world. God doesn't redeem everything, just like he doesn't redeem everyone. He does redeem everything for those who love him, who have chosen him, who have chosen his son as their Lord and Savior. He redeems everything, both good and bad, if we will just live according to his good purpose for our life. And that doesn't mean, oh, he can't redeem the things I did wrong, he can. He can redeem everything if you just make the choice to live with Jesus as your Lord, because God already knew you were gonna be his child. The fact that God is omniscient explains why he already knew who he was gonna redeem. He can't help but know the names of the people who will choose him. And so he sees us like he sees his firstborn. Who's his firstborn? Jesus. He sees us as the brothers and sisters of his own son, And for them, he had this plan always for his people. Those he called, he justified. He made them holy. And those who he makes holy, he will glorify in heaven. It's just the plan he's had from the beginning of time, at least from the time of the fall, when he made that sacrifice and he made a new plan to always redeem. Those who would believe. And Paul says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul says, when you think about all that God has planned for us and done for us in order that we could live eternally, what can we say? Here's what we can say. If God is for us, there's not even a close second. Paul's teaching Christians to live a victorious life with the knowledge that you are saved, you are loved, you are justified, and one day you will be glorified in heaven. And you get to live with that confidence now. The confidence isn't in what you're able to get done yourself. If you've chosen Jesus, you've chosen heaven. But now we live with this glorious confidence and joy, that as a spirit-led person, we are able to live a righteous life, a life that's right with God, that is at peace with God. And you can also live with the great comfort that whatever this life brings, it won't defeat God's purpose in our lives. If God's for us, who can be against us? is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So our confidence isn't in our ability to be good enough. It's in the love and power of God who gave everything just so that he could be with you forever. So our confidence is in that Jesus is in heaven praying for us. And then one of the highest, holiest passages in all of the Bible, Paul says, as the icing on the cake, who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who left us. We are more than conquerors through Jesus. So we live with a legacy of those who have remained faithful to God forever and have always been able to say this. Even in the hardest times this life can bring us, you are a conqueror. Nothing can separate you from God. Nothing can. Satan will try. He can't do it. Paul says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Those who are saved are forever God's children. So regardless of what's happening in your life today, good or bad, because both good and bad can attempt to pull us away from God. Regardless of what happens in your life, you always have Jesus within you interceding, trying to draw you back to that place of full knowledge of God and his presence in your life. Paul's letter to Romans so far has said, Jesus died to save everyone, both Jew and Gentile. He said, everyone needs to receive justification from Christ. We can't earn it ourselves. And he said, once you're saved, you need to live with that knowledge, live according to the spirit, live like a child of God. And he says, you've been given the great high and holy privilege of heaven. It will be yours someday. So until then, live in such a way that you'll make your dad proud of you. Why? Because whatever this life throws at us, we've already conquered. We are more than conquerors when we love Jesus Christ. Have a great week.
0: We are so glad that you are participating in this study of Romans. We would love to encourage you to spend time in a personal study of Paul's letter as well. There is a printed workbook that contains a summary of Rome during Paul's time, maps and thought-provoking weekly lessons with commentary and questions that will allow you to learn far more about the passage and how that passage can impact your life. We hope you'll get a copy so that you can study Romans in depth with greater understanding. Simply go to foundationswithjanet.org to order your copy today.